This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today, and may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. My sermon always begins after my wife sings. I'm always... You know, I started preaching when I was just about 15 years old. I won't tell you how old I am now. (laughs) But shortly afterwards, I met my wife, and at the time, of course, she was not my wife. (laughs) And I used to invite her to sing with me, and ever since, we became a team in ministry. Yeah, we've been in the U.S. 14 years now, and... um, We've been singing long before that. I've been an Adventist over 30 years, I think, for those of you who are trying to see my age. But I want to thank her for blessing our hearts today. And I also want to thank all the leaders who preceded me, including the musicians. I thank you for doing God's work. And today we are living in a tough time, and you have come to the right place. I'm getting an echo. Tough time, and we have come to a a moment in Earth's history, a moment of difficulty, a moment of challenge. Uh, I want you to know that um, I'm delighted to have, um, and I know she's one of your, your members here, but when I started in chaplaincy, I was nurtured by uh, Chaplain Wanda Davis. So when the church has all its contention about women and ordination, I can't say anything. Because I was nurtured by a woman of God who strengthened me and, and showed me the way to walk. So I thank you. I thank you, Wanda. And so I want you to know that we are living in some tough times. But that's not the message today. As you look into your bulletin, you would see that the message is simple. What's in a name? I never quite knew why his parents named him that name. Rumors have it that while his father was plying his trade as an electrician, he was always marveled by the mysteries of electricity. So he named his son Sparkle Heat. Others in the village said that his mother was in labor while his father, the electrician, survived a massive electrical shock And in honor of his survival, he named his only son Sparkle Heat. Whatever the reason, that name followed him in derision and resemblance all through his life. As far back as I can remember, his hair was always on end on the top of his head. His eyes were always wide open and his clothes full of static. And in the schoolyard, I can always remember that Sparkle was always the subject of laughter and scrutiny. During his teen years, as we played cricket, the boys would hit fours and sixes when they're batting. And when he's bowling, they would not spare him the opportunity to inform him that his Sparkle does not have any heat. 
But I often wondered what dreams his parents had for him. What event, what circumstances could have led his parents to place such an unnecessary stress on that child? Sparkle heat. Parents ought to take serious thoughts about naming their children because, as, as Daniel Kovota puts it, the naming of a child should not be taken for granted. Naming a child speaks of a story that lasts a lifetime. It denotes dreams and, as, and, 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 and aspirations, hopes and goals and great achievement. Naming a child is important. Sparkle. Yet some parents take the task of naming their children as a meaningless, menial task. They just throw and toss any name on their children and it comes back to haunt the kids. Look at Jaleesa Martin in Memphis, Tennessee. She appeared before Justice Ballow because of the name she gave her son. Jaleesa named her son Messiah. Not M-A-S-S-I-A-H, but M-E-S-S-I-A-H. Messiah Deshaun McCullough. The Cook County clerk referred the matter to Judge Ballow, and a formal hearing was opened to ask the young lady to change her son's name. As the judge succinctly puts it, the name Messiah is a title that has been earned by one person. And that one person is Jesus Christ. She continued, your decision to name this baby Messiah could put him at odds with a lot of people who ascribe glory and honor to Jesus alone. So the judge ordered the, the baby's mother to change his name to Martin. Martin Deshaun McCullough. She appealed the case and lost again. Naming a child in ancient cultures just as it is today was no menial task. And even among the tribes in some countries, it is an important and sacred matter. What you name your child is important. It's crucial. In fact, among several tribal peoples of Africa, they make no hurry in naming their children. They wait until their children are in their teen years to name the children. Take, for instance, the Yoruba tribe in Nigeria. They give their children two names. The first name is called an Oruku, which is a name to describe the circumstances of the child's birth. Listen carefully. So that... When the child was born, the circumstances that described the child was the name given to him. And then, in the teen years, the, 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 the tribe would give him or her an oriki, or a praise name, which suggests hope for a bright future. That's right. So, so, so the naming of a child is an important matter. I, I never had a problem with my name until I came to this country, Garfield. Folks, well, folks keep laughing at my name. But you know, in the Caribbean, Garfield is a great cricketer. He's the best cricketer that I ever was outside of Viv Richards, that is. 
but 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 a name and so and so so when I left the Caribbean proud of my name we were in Alabama while I was studying at Oakwood and my wife was pregnant we were pregnant with our our, our last baby and 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 the lady in the, the the office looked at my wife when I went to the car to fetch some documents and asked my wife where did he get that name <laughs> And they know my name differs because when I look in some books, it says it's a square field. <laughs> but a few days ago, I looked it up. It says one with great intuition and intelligence, one who has purpose and one who is strong. I'll take that one. A name, naming your child is important. Giving a name is crucial. Understanding what a name means when you give your child that name is important for the child's future. Don't take it for granted. And I go to certain quarters as a teacher, a professor, and I see some names. They say they are African names. And so I would ask a student, what's your name? What's the meaning of your name? The child doesn't know. When you give your child a name, the child must know the meaning of the, of the name that you have given to him or her. In scripture also, as in ancient time, naming was also significant. Names denote purpose and family origin. So when the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, tells us, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Oh, what a wonderful name. Isaiah chapter 14 is set in a prophetic, in a context of prophetic words that are founded and fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. Behold, Matthew says, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Oh, don't take it as any light matter. Emmanuel may not mean much, but when I hear Jesus... Something runs down my spine. Jesus. Because the name Jesus is also a prayer. <laughs> I remember a friend of mine who worked on engines in powerhouses. And he said one night he, he was so sleepy his, his hand got caught in one of the machinery. And he said the thing was moving slowly. And his hand was going up into the machine. And he didn't know what to do. And he just said, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, he said he, slow, he, he, he noticed that there was a sudden stop. The machine stopped. And when the machine stopped, he said, now how am I going to get my hand out? Something said, just pull it out. When you call on the name Jesus, something happens. I don't know what you have experienced and what you are going through, but this preacher stands before you today as an example that God works for his children. He stands up for his children. Many times this preacher has cried out early mornings on the name of Jesus. Jesus. The word of God said that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is God. Oh, I have a lot of friends. I have Buddhist friends. I have atheist friends. And some of you might not agree with me to have atheist friends because he said, why do you keep company with such people? Jesus did. And I have a physician friend who is a Muslim. 
And you know, out of concern, I believe, one day he came up to me and he said, why do you people worship a man? Jesus. I said, what do you mean? He said, Jesus is just, a, he was just a prophet. I said, really? He said, and he died. I said, really? Dr. Hassan, my good friend, he looked at me and he said, yes, he died, just like Muhammad. But I said, have a seat in my office. It's a teaching moment. Sometimes when it comes to Jesus, you have to do some teaching. Don't argue, just teach. So I sat the physician down and I simply said to him, yes, I agree with you. Jesus died, Muhammad died, but Jesus rose again. We can find Muhammad's tomb and we'll find some bones there. But you can't find anything in Jesus' tomb because one early morning an angel came and said, Jesus, your father call it you. When he came out of that tomb, it was empty. So there's a difference between Jesus and any other name. It is the name given among men. Whereby we shall be saved. General conference won't save you. Y'all probably won't invite me here yet again, but I saw y'all in San Antonio. I stayed home because I don't want anything, neither your politics, nor anything that you have to distract me from Jesus. Because I have a goal when I look at that name. And all I want is to walk into his kingdom, to live for him. But wait, 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 wait. That name is powerful. That name is powerful. You know, in scripture, it means, it says that God gave us Jesus because Jesus will save his children. Isn't that right? But God had carefully handpicked the newlywed couple for a myriad of reasons. And today, I just briefly want to give you three reasons why God chose Mary and Joseph to bring this Jesus to do the work. One, the first one is, God admired David's ultimate faithfulness and described him as a man after his own heart. The joining of Mary and Joseph was a fulfillment of God's promise to his patriarch David, that his descendants shall take Israel's throne and reign in righteousness forever. First reason why Jesus came to us. God keeps promises. Some of you seated before me are waiting on an unanswered prayer. And you're wondering, when will God come through for me? You are questioning in your minds because you hear skeptics are saying all types of things. But I've come today to tell you that you can trust God's promises. Young people, listen to me. You can trust God's promises. No matter where you go, no matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, once you come back to God, once you follow his word, once you are willing to be his ambassador, God will take care of you. I go into homes and I visit families who have loved ones who are dying, terminally ill. A few weeks ago, I was called to this home. The physician first visited the home, and then she said, the, fam the, 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 the patient wants to see you. So I got in my car the very minute she told me, because you don't know when people are going to die. 
that's just the nature of what I do. So I jumped in my car, got over. Gentleman sat in his chair. He said, the doctor just told me I have less than 30 days to live. And I want to know what God desires of me. Now listen, it's a different picture when you, 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 you're good and you know you, you, your, your tests and so forth from the doctor says that you're okay. But it's a different thing. When you hear you're going to die. Eight, I've seen eight straighten up and start talking about God. Death is no joke. People are fearful of death. So this guy called me and he said, let's talk. I want to know what God requires of me. I didn't have a long story to do justly, to walk humbly, to live in relationship with him, ask him forgiveness of all your sins. I didn't want to give him too many doctrines. I couldn't go through the seven-day Adventist 28 doctrines. He didn't have time. So I simply said to him, all, all you have to do is recognize that Jesus died for your sins. And you can find eternal life through him. He sat down and he, he said to me, yes, I need to do that because I want to see him. I said, well, that's good. Within that 30 days, every work day I visited him, prayed with him, comforted him, showed him where to walk. You know what? On the 23rd day he died, I was at his bedside. And the last thing he said to me, he held my hand firmly like this. Give me your hand, young man. You, you see me coming, you have to put and he looked at me and he held my hand like this. I see a bright light. That's what he said to me. I don't know what he saw. And said, somebody's talking to me. A man says, come with me. So I said, well, that sounds good. He said, he looks peaceful. He looks like one who has, has good gifts for me. He's telling me these things. Now, none of you can dispute anything that he has said because you have not been there. Yeah. But, 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 but he kept on saying, it looks like it's going to be all right. Thank you. Thank you. He died in peace. I hope to see him in the kingdom. I know you, Seventh-day Adventists, would like him to go through the 27 beliefs and prove to you, and prove to you that he, he's a good Adventist. But listen, I've come across so many people, so many people in the short time that I've been doing that it's interesting to know their desire is so strong to live for Jesus. And I don't think it's merely because they are terminally ill. I, be I believe that people are genuinely seeking Jesus because they can call an imam, tell me about Muhammad, but they want Jesus. And so at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is God. Not only did God want to remind us of his promise to his son David, I want you to know not that David never sinned. Why God say he's a man after his own heart? Because David did some terrible stuff. And you ought to take note of this. Because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not because David had not sinned. In fact, he was one of the biggest radicals in the Bible. Take men's wives, do all kind of bad things. The church board would have kicked him out a long time ago. But here's the crucial point that I want to make. David always sought after God. 
Whenever he made an error, he knew that he had to go to God and straighten things out. Anytime you have gone wrong, you have done something wrong, it is crucial for you to go to God. Tell him that you are wrong. Tell him that you have made a mistake and tell him that you want to make it right. That was one of the key points in David's life. The third and, and very crucial point, he knew how to move on from sins. Too many of us in God's remnant church are living with guilt of past sins. That ought to change. When God forgives you, he places it into the sea of forgetfulness and remembers it no more. Brothers and sisters, whatever it might be, whatever is causing you guilt, you need to let it go. Let God take control of your circumstances. You are moving under the banner of Prince Emmanuel, under the name of Jesus. You are of royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a powerful people unto God. And so the second primary criterion that had to be met was that the woman who was bearing the Messiah had to be a pure one. These days, the line is being blurred between the sexes. God has specific responsibilities for men and women. Men cannot carry children. And women ought, women ought not to be men. I am happy that when I preach the word of God, I don't have to be politically correct. Because God's word clearly states that the lines are clearly demarcated. And we must remember that God's words are true. Each sex complements the other. Are you following me? Just as in physics, we, in physics we are told to every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. Everything must balance. Male, female, yes, no, negative, positive. There are two sides that complement each other. One is not better than the other. Two men will never forget. Two men, two men will forget everything because men, we don't remember anything. And women will never forget what the other has done. And will consistently argue because they want to be right all the time. I've been married now for 23 years. I don't argue with my wife. Everything she says, I say yes. <laughs> now, 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 I can tell you this in private. I know most of the time I'm right. <laughs> but I don't tell her that. And you know, women are very smart. Yellow man, yellow man, <laughs> yellow man. <laughs> yellow man said man smart, but women smarter. But, but, but listen to this. You know what's interesting is that women are very, very intelligent. A woman knows she's in control. That's number one. Listen to me, guys. Don't be foolish. A woman knows she's in control. So, you know, you have a discussion. She says, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, hon. But the woman knows ultimately she's the boss. She controls. And she does it indirectly. So I don't argue with my wife. She's always right. I let her make the decisions that she want to make. I don't impose on her will as a person. 
Young man, you must listen to this. Never treat your spouse as subordinate to you. That is the difficulty we have now, why we cannot understand how important it is to have both in ministry working side by side. We don't understand. But you go back, and Mrs. White, when I was at the seminary, I spent extensive time reading through the unpublished work of Mrs. White. The first thing I wanted to see was her family life. How did James treat her? And how did she treat James? She was a model in her lifestyle. They had challenges, difficulties, but they kept to the task. Married couples must stick to the task. Our divorce rate is almost 65%. First marriages. Second marriages is over 70%. And there were the days when I was growing up in the Seven Adventist Church that our name meant something, and you don't even see divorces. But now it's everywhere. We have got to live by example. If indeed we are the remnant, which I believe, we must stand up, we must do the right things. And then I want you to know that that name that He gives us is one that is exemplified in many ways. But listen to this carefully. I have a son. And my son is growing up. And he's growing up in an environment that's different to the one that I grew up in in the Caribbean. My environment was naive, simple. It's true. It was idealistic. But he is growing up in an environment where he is faced with people and if he doesn't make the right choices, like I'm teaching him now, that when he meets a police officer, do, a police officer, do as I do. Yes, sir. No, sir. Can I reach for my license, sir? That's what I do. Don't be disrespectful to a police officer. These are things I'm teaching my son. And sometimes I get a little feedback, you know. So, so what if he's wrong? No, 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 no. The police is right. Just do as he tells you. I never will forget that while I was studying in Alabama, one year we were going to New Jersey for Thanksgiving, and when we reached in Scottsboro, one of the most racist places on the earth, a police stopped me because he said I was swerving in the road. Now the vehicle was giving problem. I never had a vehicle when I was in school that wasn't giving problem. So, so he stopped me and he said, uh, why are you swerving? I said, well, I'm just looking at the gauge. Because it's overheating. And he said to me, well, okay, pull aside. Let me see your license. So I paused and I said, can I go for my license? And the cop looked at me and he said, why do you ask me to go for your license? I said, because I don't want you to get the impression that I'm going for something else and shoot me. We must teach our children the right things to do. I've been in this country for 14 years. Been stopped many times for breaking the law. I'm sorry. On the highway. Only. And you know the cops, when they stop me, they, out, they always, always let me go. And say, don't do it again, chaplain. Because the first thing I said, I'm a chaplain. <laughs> I'm on duty. I got to get to the hospital. Even when I was in Michigan, one night I was speeding through a little town, going to, to St. Joseph, to St. Joseph Medical Center. And, 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 and I was a chaplain there. And, and, and the cop stopped me. And when he stopped me, <laughs> he said, what's the big hurry? Why are you speeding like this? 
I said, sir, because I have a call to go to the hospital, and I'm in a hurry. Do you know he escorted me to the, to, to the hospital? Big shot. <laughs> you and I have been called to a noble task. Joseph trained his son in the ghetto. Y'all know that? Nazareth wasn't any big deal, Philip said. Nazareth? The Messiah coming from Nazareth? So listen, listen, listen. Joseph raised his son in the ghetto. Philip said, no good thing can come out of Nazareth. None. None. But that's where Jesus came from. He came from the ghetto. But listen, Joseph trained him in simplicity. In his workshop in the backyard, he spent time and spoke to that boy and showed him how to walk. Parents, we must spend time with our children and teach them how to walk. Walk with dignity. Walk with respect. Not with your pants half the way down here. No Seventh Adventist children should be walking the street with their pants half way down here just because they want to be filled, be, be a part of the crowd. So Joseph raised his son in the ghetto. And I want you to know today that when Joseph let that boy loose from the carpenter shop in the ghetto of Nazareth, he was not just a great young man. He was a master builder. Haven't you ever wondered why Jesus was not born in the suburbs of Jerusalem? Because the Messiah must experience the poverty and the, the, the degradation of the poor. How else could he be a more appropriate example? Then he was not just a master builder when he left that carpenter shop. Instead, he was born in the ghetto where the kids suffered. He was in the ghetto. He roamed among the poor. He ate poverty food and welfare cheese. He was born into poverty. I don't feel too bad having born in poverty because Jesus did. Poverty teaches us humility. Poverty keeps us focused. Poverty teaches us to imagine great things. Most great leaders came out of poverty. Poverty helps us keep our minds stayed on Jesus. Oh, if you don't believe me, it is out of the dark corridors of poverty that God moves something beautiful to save you and me from sin. When Joseph led that boy loose, he rightly earned the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Which says that he came to be a propitiation, a stronghold for the people he came to save. Listen, the woman at the well knew about him. She asked, who are you offering me water that I may never thirst again? Are you greater than our father Abraham? <laughs> the wind and the waves knew his name. Tell us, Todd, he told them. Shut up. And the wind and the rays obeyed him. They knew his name. The demoniac at Gadara knew his name. What have we to do with the son, with thee, the son of the most high God? The woman with the issue of blood knew him. She crept up in the crowd. And the Greek word that described the crowd tells us that it was so tight. It was literally choking the people who were in the crowd. How she got through is a mystery. 
But when she moved forward, she barely touched the hem of his garment because she knew his name. She understood the power that he carried. And by touching the hem of his garment, she was made whole. Jairus knew his name. Can you come over to my house? My daughter is dying. Jairus knew his name. The little boy with the five loaves and fishes knew his name. Here, this is all I have to offer. And if that's not enough, Bartimaeus knew his name. He sat at the side of the road in the darkness of his vision and shouted, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Today there is somebody seated before me who is crying out from within and saying, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm struggling because of emotional problems. Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm suffering because I need clarity in my life. There is somebody seated before me who knows that that name can do something for them. His name is greater than any name. He is greater than anyone we can tell. You can ask me. I know the power of his name. Out of the poverty-stricken village of a small Caribbean island torn by political corruption, a husband and a wife had six children to raise who were raised in poverty. He pulled one out and taught him about the blessings of the Sabbath, keeping God's word and living for God. And that is why I stand before you today. I know his name. There is somebody here who needs to know Jesus' name. There is somebody here who needs to understand that God loves that person with all his heart. John 3.16 is so correct. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I was in, on the, in the country of Guyana preaching. I'm concluding. I'm cutting this short in righteousness. Seventh-day Adventists, they love to go to lunch. So, I was in Guyana preaching. Musicians, you could just play something for me. And when I was in Guyana preaching, that Sabbath, the elder explained to me, he said, we have a lot of problems in the church. We have shepherd's rods. Y'all ever heard of shepherd's rods? Is there a shepherd's rod here today? He said, he said we have shepherd's rod. But he said, more importantly, we have a lot of people, a number of people who are demon-possessed. Do you know that the devil comes to church, sits with us, partakes in worship sometimes, would even take a chance to do a Sabbath school now and then? But, 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 there is something that always dispels the devil, gets rid of him. It's when we pray and call on that name. So I was preaching, and a young lady, I saw her, her eyes shifting, pop, 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 just like that. I looked again, and I watched her, and she was uncomfortable. Every time the name of Jesus was mentioned, she was uneasy. Now, I never cast any demon out, never did. And that was my first experience with a person who was demon-possessed. And, 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 and all I was doing was whispering a prayer every time I was preaching. I wasn't afraid, but because Jesus is powerful and he's with me. So this young lady, she started acting up. And there was a leader there who knows how to cast demons out. 
Not everybody and anybody can do that thing. You have to know what you're doing. Demons will, 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 will just beat. You got to know what you're doing. And so they pulled her. After her manifestation, they pulled her aside. And they prayed with her. But you know what's amazing? Is how just calling on the name of Jesus brought change to her life. You and I have become so comfortable that we do not fully understand the power of the name of Jesus. Call on him at home for your children, for your spouses, for that boss who's giving you a headache. Call on him, young people, when you can't do successfully in a class in school and you need help. Call on Jesus. and He will hear and answer you. Today, my dear friends, I've come in contact with this Jesus who gives me peace in spite of the chaos around me. This Jesus gives me eternal life. This Jesus blesses my family. Y'all saw my wife. Blessings. But today, there is somebody here who needs this Jesus. And you know it. And you need special prayer, so I'm inviting you to come forward. You need special prayer. You know you need Jesus. Ah, oh, too many people are looking at me, Pastor. Why don't you all stand to your feet? Every one of you. We're going to be praying. We're going to be praying. Come forward. Somebody here needs special prayer. I want the saints to bow your heads, close your eyes, and start praying. Praying that those among us who are struggling and need prayer will come forward. You just need prayer. You don't know if you're going right or left, backward or forward. You need prayer. Just come. Come. Come now. The preacher is going to be praying for you. We're going to be praying. Come. Come. There is somebody else who needs to come quickly. We're going to be praying. We're going to be praying. Bow your heads. Close your eyes, my dear brothers and sisters, and pray for those who really need some deliverance. They need prayer. They need help. Come forward. Come forward. Come forward. We're going to be praying. Come on. Come on. Is there anybody else before we pray? Come on. Don't be afraid. Come on. Somebody needs special prayer. Come forward. Come forward. Praise God. Somebody else? Quickly, quickly. We're going to be praying. We're going to be praying. As you bow your heads, you close your eyes. One more person. Praise God. Come on. You're struggling. You need prayer. You need that name to be mentioned on your behalf. Come on. Just come. Just come. Just come. Just come. Eternal Father, you know the hearts of every person standing here. You know the challenges they're experiencing. You know their needs. You know the circumstances with which they are faced. So we come as your children. In an act, Lord, of affirmation that we want you to intervene and move radically in their lives, we ask for your help. Whatever the need, we pray that you will provide for them. That where healing is needed, it will be done. Where renewal is needed, it will be experienced. Where forgiveness is needed and removal of guilt, that you will grant it. And oh God, I pray today for your children under this roof. For there are many who are going through tough times. I ask your anointing upon them that you, O oh God, will remove the shackles of the enemy, that you grant them freedom 
freedom from sin, freedom from indulgence, freedom from the possession of the enemy. Lord, we come before you today and ask that you will provide for them physically, spiritually, and emotionally. We bring their homes, their families, whatever torment and challenges and difficulties they might be experiencing in their own homes with spouses and children. I pray today that you will visit their homes and grant them miracles. Grant them healing. Grant them renewal. Lord, as this year ends, give them a new slate. Grant them forgiveness of all sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Give them a new heart, a new mind, and new circumstances. And oh God, as each day passes and we near your coming, we pray that you would prepare them for that eternal home that you have promised in John chapter 14 verses 1 to 3. A home, Lord, where there will be no more diseases, no more suffering. No more pain, no more sorrow. And we will live and reign with you throughout eternity. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.